Maybe I'm ready. All right. Well, I'm going to be in Psalms 24. Psalms 24. I was I was praying over there about whether or not I ought to preach out of Psalms of Solomon, but I figured I wanted to preach again, so I didn't do that. But uh, anyway, in Psalms 24, of course, it's very familiar scripture. We we've all uh, read that that psalm, brought comfort to ourselves from that psalm, probably. But it's it's uh, it's part of those messianic psalms. Uh, three of them right there, of course, we know in a lump. You've got Psalms 22, uh, where you could say that that the uh, the great shepherd uh, was 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 would give his life for his sheep, dying for his sheep, and then in Psalms 23, you've got him living for his sheep, and then in Psalms 24, you have the chief shepherd uh, coming for his sheep, and so that'll be somewhat what we'll what we'll look at. But uh, as a, I'm just going to read through it, and then I'll just I'll just tell you about what the what the Lord laid on my heart about it, but it's it's part of a, a set of psalms. It's uh, Psalms 1, 132, 68, and 87, and 24 are all psalms that David wrote concerning about bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the land, back uh, from where Saul had, had left it. Uh, he David, whenever he got to be king over Israel after he had united the kingdom and his capital was in Jerusalem and and he had a concern for God. He wanted to have the things of God. He wanted to have the, the one thing that would bring the presence of God, so to speak, at least in that time, back into the, into the, into the nation. He, uh, he thought, well, we need to have that Ark of the Covenant back. And so as I got to studying through this, uh, that's exactly what this is, talking about his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem and all that sort of thing. So just sort of keep that in mind as we read it. But in verse 1 it says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, in the world, and they that dwell therein. For He hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Question. Or who shall stand in His holy place? Question. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord in righteousness, from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek the face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who shall be? Who is this King of glory? Question. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up ye heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And who shall who is the King of glory? Question the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Uh, thank you for standing. You may be seated. Uh, so, as I got to thinking about this verse, I, I thought about it. It says, first you have, of course, you have verse 1, one through 2, you have the claim of the Lord. The claim of the Lord is, is that the earth is His. That it belongs to Him. That He created it. That He put it in in orbit, that He created the universes around it, He created the planets around it, He did all those things, and it says in the fullness thereof, uh, and and I, I love that, the fullness thereof in the world and they that dwell therein. In other words, uh, we may not know that we belong to God. Or the earth may not know, uh, in a sense, may not, I mean, we, we see people today, they've, they've made a religion out of worshiping the earth. They, they've, they've went back to the goddess uh, 
and, uh, and they begin to worship the, the goddess earth and mother earth and all that sort of thing, and they make a big deal out of it. But at the end of the day, the earth can't perish. All right, the, 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 the Lord said, look, we're going to have seasons. There are going to be four of them. We're going to have them. Even in South Mississippi, we still have them. All right? it, it's quick, and you don't really see it coming, but it happens. All right? We've got four seasons, and, uh, and the earth replenishes itself, and, and it, it belongs to the God. And see, this is the thing. In order for us to say that the earth is, is burning up or, or deteriorating or we can do something to make our earth a better place or whatever, we're saying that, one, we are God, and two, we're saying that God can't do what He said He could do, and, and we're taking that creation pot. We're taking that spot of being God. And we're saying we are our own God. And so uh, it's His claim. It's His earth. It's not our earth. And then in verses 3-4, through four, we have a call, if you will. And that call is that who shall ascend into the, holy, into, into the hills of the Lord? Question, or who, and stand in His holy place. And of course, if we understood the geography of Jerusalem, we'd understand that you got Mount Moriah. Where the temple was, and then you've got then you've got Zion, which is a little higher, and that's the mountain of God. And then you've got Mount Moriah, and that's his that's his that's his holy place, if you will. That's the place where where Isaac was sacrificed, where where Jesus would put his cross and stand there between heaven and earth and pay for our sins. And so that's his holy place, and that whole city, of course, is holy. But that those particular spots are special to God. And then in verse four, we have. This is the spot that really kind of speaks to me, if you will. Uh, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Now, clean hands. I thought about that. And, uh, and as I, I got to studying through this, clean hands is our outward life. It's, I mean, you can see my hands, right? And you can see whether or not they're dirty. You know what I mean? You can tell whether or not I've washed my hands. All right? It's that part of my life that I live outside. Everybody else can see. And they know whether or not I'm really living what I say I believe. All right, and so then you have that, that pure heart. That's the part that only God can see. That's, a, that's where that motive comes in. All right, so we have the earth is His. God makes that claim that the earth is His. He makes the claim about who can ascend unto His holy place. Somebody who's got a pure motive on the inside and somebody who's got clean hands on the outside. Now, how are you going to do that? In today's society and in, 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 in our Bible, we know that the only way you can do that, no matter what they tell us, is through Jesus. The only way you're going to have a clean motive is to get saved, to get born again. The only way you're going to have clean hands or even desire to have clean hands and live right is to have Jesus come in and clean you up. Alright? So your motive has got to be right. That's the only way you're going to stand there. So, so to me, even though I, I put here because I, I needed C's, I put here call, you could say that God claims the man here. Alright? Because you notice in verse, in verse 1 it says, and all they that dwell therein. So how's he going to get them to be able to stand there? How's he going to be able to get them to have clean hands and have a pure heart? He's got to be able to provide them a way. And he provided us a way. And that's through his Lord, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, but as I got to thinking about this, before we go any further, I got to thinking about this. They're toting that Ark of the Covenant. They're toting that thing into Jerusalem. And that was the thing that was the presence of God. Now, what was the purpose of it? The purpose of it was, of course, to be a vessel in which that, that had that mercy seat on it. Now, I've read after many different folk, and some of them say them angels was facing one another. Some of them say they was facing out this way, and it formed a throne. I ain't exactly sure. I ain't never seen it. But I'm just telling you that, that those, those cherubim, if you will, those, those uh, cherubim that cover, they were over that mercy seat. 
And, and this is kind of the thing that, that kind of spoke to me a little bit. I, I got to thinking about what was inside of that ark. Alright, so you've got, you've, got the, you've got the law, you've got the rod of Aaron that budded, alright, and you've got the manna that they, that they, that they didn't want. Alright, and so what these three things have in common, the three things they have in common is that the nation of Israel denied each one of these things that God provided for them. So they didn't want the law, so they... I mean, think about it. They, they got Moses. He goes up in that mountain. He's up in that mountain. He's in that high place. He gets those, those laws. He's got those tablets. He's toting them in. They've been written by the hand of God. All right? We can argue about whether or not he ought to cast them down or not. That's irrelevant. I mean, he had righteous indignation. He looks down. He sees those people worshiping that bell calf, doing those wicked things, and he's carrying this law, and God's just got done telling him these folks are going to be purified. They're going to have the law. They're going to be... And then, and then this is what he comes down to. And they've denied his law. And so he took those broken ones that God had wrote and he puts it in, he told to be put in that ark. Then we've got, then we've got that rod. What does that rod represent? That rod represents that they, they denied his law and then they denied his man. They turned around and denied Aaron. All right, then, then uh, what's his name? Uh, them Kohathites or whatever, that, that one in particular and another one, they get together and they, they want to push Moses out and they want to push Aaron out. And they want to rule the thing. They said, who appointed you? And then God, you know, comes up with that thing, you know, we'll let Aaron's rod bud. So then, so then they denied the man of God. So then God says, well, put that thing in there. All right? And so then you have the manna, all right, where God provided for them the bread of life. And they, they didn't want that bread of life. All right? They, they said, we're tired of it. We want some meat. We want this. We want that. And so he said, well, put some of that in there. All right, now we could all say, well, it was just to remind them of those 40 years that they were in that wilderness. We all know that 40 years was judgment in the first place. But nonetheless, just got to thinking, those cherubims, which, if you didn't know, represent grace and mercy. All right, so they're over the top of that ark, of the, which is the mercy seat itself. And so every time they did a sacrifice and they pour blood on pulling that mercy seat, all right, those two cherubims could not look down into that ark because they were constantly looking down in that ark and seeing Israel denied the law, the man, and the provision of the bread of life. All right? And so each time they, they, I mean, them cherubims, that's what they represented. They were looking down at the sin of Israel. All right? They were looking down, in theory, if you will, they were looking down at our sin. All right? But every time they covered that veil or they covered that mercy seat with the blood, then they could not see that. And they would, they would, they would, they would cry out, "Justified, justified!" Right? That's the way. That's the way that would work. And so, if you think about that in our, in our, in our world today, have we denied His law? Have do we deny His men? And do we deny His provision of the bread of life? All right. Now you could argue and say, "Well, the law and the bread of life." I've heard people say, "Well, those are about the same," because you know the manna that Jesus was talking about is the Word of God. No, no, no. He said He was the manna. He said He was the bread of life. Now I understand that we could typology and put that in the Word of God and we could say the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we could argue that all day long. But Jesus Christ was that manna. He was the one. And if we deny that manna, we deny Him. And if we deny His law, we deny Him. And if we deny His men, we deny Him. Because He gave us under-shepherds and that's the way He intended it to be. And so... So we have, we have that there. That's, that's what I was thinking about is they, they carry that ark in. And so you have the Lord's call. And then this is, this is the thing here. And like I said, I was just looking through real quickly. But, but we have the, the, uh, the, the purification that takes place there. And then he says, He that shall, 
He shall receive the blessing. Talking about those that, that uh, well, let's just read this real quick. Uh, read real quick here. So it's pure heart who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Now I got to thinking about that and I thought about Solomon. First person I think about whenever I think about vanity is I think about King Solomon. If there was ever a man that had every bit of the potential to be the greatest man of God that there possibly could be. Now I've heard arguments say that he's a sissy and, and he was all this, that, and other and he liked to hang out with his mom in the kitchen and all that. I don't know if that was true or not. But I do know this much. I do know that he, he gave in to the women that were around him. He gave in to the wives that were around him. He drew in those wives. He didn't go out to war like David, like his father. And of course we know that's so he could build the temple. I guess, is why God allowed that to happen. But, it, but because of the fact that he didn't go out to war, all right, he didn't like war. And so he'd make peace treaties with people. And so he would he'd marry, and he'd make a treaty with Egypt, and he'd marry and make a treaty with Assyria, and he'd marry and make a treaty with this one, and he'd marry and make a treaty with this one. And each one of those women, they brought in their gods. And, and it's hard to believe that the same man that wrote Proverbs is a man who, who then, in the, in the valley of, of, of Megiddo, would allow the children to be passed through the fire to Moloch. All right? It's amazing that, that God would come down to him and say, look, you know, because of David, I'm not ripping that kingdom away. All right? But, but I'm ripping it away from your son. I'm only, I'm only leaving you with two tribes, and that's it. You're done. All right? And so, whenever I think about that, I mean, think about it. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I've heard, again, you read behind folks, and I've heard some people say, well, he wrote that early in his life. I've heard people say he wrote it late in his life. I believe he had to have wrote it late in his life. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's one of his favorite things, is vanity, vanity, vanity. All right, that's one of his favorite words all the way through there. He just talks about vanity. What does that mean? I mean, it's literally blowing in the wind. I mean, he, he, he understood how to waste his time on this earth. All right? How many of us are living for ourselves? How many of us are living in vanity? All right, not not worried about tomorrow. All right, now I know it, the Bible tells us not to put provision upon tomorrow or thought upon tomorrow or any that sort of thing. But at the same time, all right, we've got to we've got to understand the fact that 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 if we do get to wake up tomorrow, that we've got an obligation to the Lord. All right, we we've got to first of all we've got to make sure we've got the the clean hands and pure heart. We've got to make sure we know Him. All right, we've got to make sure that we've got Him in His proper place. In other words, He's our Creator. We're not we're not bossing him around, all right. But we're 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 supposed to be uh, subservient to him, all right. One of the one of the things that always sticks in my mind, and I know preacher mentioned it this morning, but it sticks in my mind is that Jesus lived on this earth for thirty three years, and he did the will of the Father. He constantly throughout the Book of John talking about he doing the will of his Father, and those are that's one of the greatest things that 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 burdens me more than anything. Is and I know I'm not doing His will all the time, every day, the way I'm supposed to be doing it. All right, I, I've had people tell me, "We well, years ain't no way you can, you can do that." I don't know, but I'd sure like to find out. All right, and uh, and so I'm striving. Y'all pray for me, but I'm striving that I can, I can begin to, to yield more of myself to Him, and that I, that I can live less in vanity. That's the thing I want to do. I don't want my life to be in vanity. Or to be in vain. Uh, I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. I don't know if He's going to come back in five years, ten years, five minutes, or whenever it's going to be. But if He does come back, I'd like to be able to have something to give Him. I'd like to be able to have something to, pre pre to present to Him. You know what I mean? Just so, just so I could 
just so I could say that I, I, it had been worth what he did. All right, because I'm not worth what he did. I know I'm not worth. All right, but for whatever reason, he died for me anyway, because he, because he, because he, he knew, he knew what 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 we're capable of. I mean, that's the thing that really speaks to me. Is it? Well, I don't even know where it's exactly at in First John. I think it's in First John where it says, "We have not yet seen what we shall be." All right, but. We shall one day see see him. We shall be like him. We shall have every bit like him. And why not strive to, to do that now? Why not be Christ like now? Why not take possession of everything and every potential that we have to be given to us? All right. Now we, we talk about resources of studying the Bible and, and all those sort of things. But honestly, I love studying my Bible. But I the one thing I need to do more is pray. All right. I can I can study my Bible all day long. I can make excuse about the fact that I can say, well, Lord, you know what? I ain't going to pray right now because I'm going to study. All right? And, and, and studying can become wrong because of the fact that I know I ought to be praying. And so uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, to uh, just tell you what I struggle with. But here, this is another one here. Nor sworn deceitfully. Now, this is the one I had to look up. All right? Because if I just took that the way it's written, I'd think it meant that he was just being crooked. But that's not what he meant. He meant swore deceitfully in, in old English back in this day. He was talking about that, that they gave their word and they had no guile in their word. In other words, when they gave it, you could bank on it. Alright? So, so think about this. We're talking about, talking about his call. So he's calling out a people. Are we not a called out people? Alright? And so he's calling out people that'll have, that'll have clean hands, a pure heart, that won't swear deceitfully, and they, 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 don't, they don't live in vanity. And so, that means that whenever we, we, we take up that oath, whether we realize it or not, whenever we get called out, and we become a soldier in that line of fire, so to speak, right? And we say, well, guess what? I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to witness for you. We make those little vows in our heads, or maybe the people, or maybe we say, well, you know what? I'm going to witness more. I'm going to do this. You've just swore, swore. All right? You've just sworn, and if you don't fulfill it, then you've sworn deceitfully. Alright? So God's calling out people that He can He can trust their word. Alright? And we always uh back whenever I was a young and we used to always talk about that uh mama used to always tell me that, that my, my granddaddy was type fella that if he gave you his word he's gonna do it. He's gonna go through with it. Alright, a handshake type fella, you know, didn't need no paperwork, no attorneys, no that sort of thing. Might have should have had them, but he didn't need them, alright? But he told a fella he was gonna be at his house on Saturday and he's gonna help him cut down some bushes. He was there on Saturday, he had him cut down the bushes. Even if he even if it put him in a in a bad bind or, you know, uh he had to miss something that he probably needed to be at or whatever, but if he gave him another man his word, he was gonna fulfill it. Now if we as a nation or as a people can do that to individuals, all right, if if I can give my word to Brother Dillaray that hey, I'm gonna be over there and I'm gonna help you do whatever, all right, and I can do that, then why can't I do the same thing to God? All right? I mean, is it because I can't see him? Is it because I'm gonna be honest with you, and y'all y'all gonna think it's funny, but I think it's because I'm too crippled, for, too high for crutches. All right, I seem to think that because I can't see him. You ever seen one of them youngins? They'll be playing hide and seek, and they'll stick their head under a under a rug or a blanket, and they think you can't see them. I think that's the way we are with God. I think we think He can't see us, and He don't know we made them vows, or we made that we swore those things, or or we did that, or whatever. We just 
We seem to be simple-minded in that sense, all right? But we seem to forget the fact that He is the God of the universe, all right? Nothing catches Him off guard. He knows exactly what's going on, and He knows whether or not we're going to fulfill that vow when we make it. And so, He's, he's calling out a people. He's calling out a people that, that'll be pure-hearted, and that, that'll, be, that'll have clean hands that won't live in vanity, that won't swear deceitfully, and he, he shall receive the blessings. This is, this is what we receive because of it. We receive the blessings of the Lord, uh, righteousness from His God, of His salvation. Is that not what we received the day we got saved? We received His blessings, and we received His righteousness. He literally, like I preached up here once before, He literally all right, became sin for us and exchanged us His righteousness, and we exchanged our sin upon Him. Literally the same thing that happened upon that mercy seat whenever they poured that blood and those two cherubims couldn't see the fact that Israel had rejected the law and the, and the, and the rod, the man of God, and had rejected the manna. All right? Whenever that blood got applied to us, God couldn't see the fact that we had once had been entity with Him, that we were sinners, that, that, that we were falling short. All right? Couldn't see that anymore. Still can't see that. All right? Now that's not to say that we we not got to do what First John one nine says, and we ain't got to go and confess our sins and be forgiven, all right? Because he is he is faithful to forgive us our sins if we do that, all right? And we've got to do that. We've got to maintain that walk with him. But at the end of the day, we are sealed forever, all right? Like it was preached today, and and I, I was thinking this whenever he was preaching that this morning. As he named off each one of those things, if any one of those things can knock you out of the fight like permanent, then you probably ain't saved. And you need to check up. Alright? Because that list of things are things that typically knock people out of out of church or out of serving God or they go in left field. Now some of them come back, some of them don't. Alright? And you just gotta pray for them. And you can't never know. Alright, I'm no man's judge. I can't look in a man's soul and tell whether or not he's saved, whether or not him and God is right. But I can tell you this much. We are supposed to be fruit inspectors. Alright? If my spirit don't, you know, strive with another man and his fruit don't seem exactly right, if he's bearing oranges, then I probably can say that he probably don't know the same one I know. Alright? It's not to say that he ain't got religion. That's not to say that he ain't got some sort of heretical doctrine or whatever that maybe he's caught up in or maybe he's confused. But at the same time, our God is not the author of confusion. If he truly gets born again, he will know. All right, there's no way to get around it. You will know. All right, and others can tell. I mean, I just believe that. I just believe that you can, you can, you can see fruit in a man's life. Now, I I have heard of occasions to where to where men men served the Lord thirty years or forty years, and they they bore fruit and they planted missions and they did all this stuff, and then they came back later and said, "Well, I, I wasn't ever really saved." And they supposedly got born again. And I don't know. Those sort of things just make you scratch your brain. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. But in, 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 in all honesty, all honesty, most of the time you can tell a man by the fruit he bears. And so, as we, as we go on in verse 6, it says, uh, this is a generation. Now, I don't think that, 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 that David necessarily understood the words he was writing. I don't think he understood the words he was writing in 22. And I don't think he understood the words he was necessarily writing in 23. I think he had the life experience in 23 to understand 23. I think he had been that shepherd boy. I think God had been that, that, that thing that had comforted him. 
But, and I think he had even went through things maybe that made him feel like that he had maybe been forsaken by God. And maybe he didn't understand why he was running all that time. And, and, and then here, he's just writing a joyful poem about bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into, into God. But, but I do think that this has, has how do you say, uh, things for us today. I think, I think we very well could be this generation in a sense. Now I know it says old Jacob, which means he's talking about the whole tribes of Israel there. But nonetheless, in verse 6 it says, This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe we're living in a time to where the only way we're going to get right with God, the only way we're going to get back to where we need to be is we need to be that generation that's seeking His face. We need to be that generation that, that's seeking Him. Alright? We, we, we've done it for, for all my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. We've done it all my life. I've seen people get on the altar and, and pray and nothing ever change inside the building. Alright? And I've seen great revivals come in and I've seen great men of God stand up behind a pulpit and I've seen Him preach and I've seen people get under conviction and I've seen people get saved and I've seen all those sort of things. But I've never seen what I would classify as a great move of God in my lifetime. And I would love to see one. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd love to have that, that Josiah, Hezekiah, whichever one you want to pick, kind of revival, okay? I'd like to see God move one more time. Not because of the fact that I'd just like to see it, just because I've read about them, and, and I'd like to see it and be able to say, man, I was there. But truly, I'm burdened for our nation. I'm burdened for the people that are growing up in it. I'm burdened for the children that are growing up in this nation that don't have the option of hearing Jesus preached. And maybe if they see a great move of God over here, it'll, it'll draw their mom and daddy into the church and they'll be able to get saved. I mean, who knows? But, but we, we told a great responsibility. And so we, we should be seeking Him. We should be seeking His face uh, so, that we can, so that we can worry about that generation that's coming up behind us. And then, then we get to those famous verses. Now, think about it in this context. This is the way in which that I've, I've looked at it. And, uh, and so you've got seven, you've got seven, uh, and eight and nine. But eight and nine, it, but let's just read seven. It says, And lift up ye heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And then it says, Who is this King of glory? Question. Uh, the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Now, like I said, contextually, this is talking about bringing in that ark. But if you look at it as, as application, how do we apply this to, to, to the theme or, or whatever that I, that I seem to be going with? As, as Jesus Christ lived on this earth for 33 years, the devil threw everything he could at him. All right? he, he, he tempted him whenever he was in Matthew chapter 4. He, 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 he threw everything there was. There was publicans come at him and there was Sadducees come at him and there was all manner of people that began to question him. Then he raised John from the dead. And they just had enough. It's time for him to die. And they mark him for death. And he begins to, to, to kind of back away from the crowd, if you will. And he kind of lives under, 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 a, under a rock, really. You know, not want people to see him so that he don't, you know, get murdered or killed before his time. Because it was him that got to pick the time. You know, I mean, whenever he told Judas, go and do as I do quickly, he was showing Judas who had control, all right? Because he showed, he showed Judas one or two things, alright? Either you're going to cut bait or you're going to go do it right now and you're going to do it when I tell you to do it. Alright, so 
So therefore, that's the way I necessarily see that. But nonetheless, he, he for 33 years he battled all these different things, and he was he was he was strong and mighty in battle. And then eight and nine, if you will, he was he was strong and mighty in battle. And then in nine it says, now think about this. We we've got the the whole entire church age in my mind. Now I know the church age ain't mentioned in the Old Testament, but just kind of follow along with me and give Brother Joe a little bit of a little bit of credit here. All right. So anyway, so you've got you've got Jesus. He he does that thirty three years there. He's hanging on the cross between heaven and earth. He, they take him down. They put him in the in the tomb there. They he resurrects on that third day, and then and then he 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 goes out and he mentions all the different people, and he spends forty days with his disciples, and and then he ascends up to heaven, right? And that's where Acts one and all them different ones. We he gives them the great commission, and then the last thing they see, right, is his ascending up into heaven, as if and they were pierced feet as they, they go out of sight, okay? And so for, for the last 2,000 years, the Holy Ghost has been doing what? It's been calling out people, alright? It's been putting people under conviction, doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. And meanwhile, Jesus has been sitting at the right hand of the Father the entire time. And every time one gets saved, he, he, I, I believe He looks over at the Father and He says, I got one more. I got one more. You know what I mean? I got ten more. Whatever it is. You know what I mean? And so, all the way down through these, through these decades or, and through these years, all right, sometimes thousands got saved. Sometimes uh, hundreds of thousands got saved. I'm more than sure. And then we get down to where we're at now and you can barely hear about it. All right? But five or ten get saved. Two get saved. One gets saved. All right? And it go a long time without it. But nonetheless, the Holy Ghost still calling, still convicting, still saving. Overseas people get saved by the droves. I mean, just... Doing that thing. Well, one day, that last one is going to accept you. One day, that last one is going to accept you. And I believe that's whenever you get to this, this, this last two verses here where it says, and then of course we know that, 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 that He'll look over there at the Father and the Father will tell Him to come get His bride and He'll, he'll, he'll come down here to rapture out the church, rapture out that called out assembly that has been, that has been down here laboring for Him uh, and and hopefully, as Paul said, he'll be able to present them as a chaste virgin. All right, and uh, and hopefully, like Jesus said, there'll still be faith upon the earth. Okay, so nonetheless, he he comes down and he pulls up the church, and this is where we get to right. And so this is why I say this is talking about that. It's because of these last things I'll point it out in a second. But it says in verse eight, I mean in verse nine, it says, "Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and lift up and lift them ye lift up ye." everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in and then that guard will look over and say who is that king of glory question the lord of hosts he is the king of glory now whenever i read throughout my bible it talks about that the church is a is a host that can't be numbered giant multitude a host that can't be numbered and so as i as i think about that i think about the fact that that he that he go down and he's the best that glory's got to go for us. He comes down, he's made a little bit lower than the rest of us. He, he's made a little bit lower than the angels. He humbles himself. He makes himself of no reputation. He lives on this earth. He is the embodiment, if you will, of the Ark of the Covenant. All right? whenever, whenever Jesus was present with those disciples, they didn't need no Holy Spirit. All right? Because the presence of God was with them. All right? And so... Just like whenever that Ark of the Covenant was in that holy temple, 
All right, that holy presence was there. It hadn't yet departed, okay? And so, uh, that Shekinah glory, whatever particular word you want to use, that's what Jesus, He was the incarnate of God, alright? He was in flesh, but He was 100% God, alright? And then this is the thing, don't let anybody ever try to take away His deity from you. Alright, I, I've, I've, I've almost lost my witness talking to folks, alright? I've gotten better about it, alright? Thank God. But, Used to, those Jehovah Witnesses would get me hot whenever they started talking about he was just an angel or he was just a, the brother of Satan or whatever they might tell me in that regard. But at the end of the day, he's not a work. Alright? And if he if he was just if he was just an angel, alright, or if he was just a, a brother or a man, alright, then he could only die for his own sins. Alright? If he was just a man, he could only die for his own sins. And that, that God did not give me baptism, he didn't give me water. He didn't give me any of those words. He didn't give me works. None of those things to be able to reconcile me to Him. But He gave me the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that's going to reconcile this world to the, to, to the Father is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, as you think about that, you think about the fact that, that uh, like I said already, He ascends up into heaven. And He makes His way there and He, he tells this fellow to lift up the gates. And he, he goes back and He sits down upon, the, upon that throne. Right? sits down upon that throne. Now this is extra biblical, alright? This is Brother Joe's opinion, alright? But he sits down upon that throne and he tells that great multitude that we've got to go back down at some point. Alright? After that judgment seat, after all the things take place that we know take place in the book of Revelations, and he, he tells them we've, we've got to go back down. Alright? It's all, it's all kind of broke loose down there. Uh, Satan's had to reign. The Antichrist, all that different stuff took place. We've got to go back down. And that's when that second coming takes place. And, and he talks about, talks about in that Bible about how they'll have some people that, that reign with him. All right, those that take place in that first resurrection and all that different stuff that, that's mentioned there. And I just happen to believe. Don't believe there's a ranking system or any of that sort of thing. I don't, I don't know how all this is going to work. But I just so happen to believe that, that whenever he talks about having a clean hands and a pure heart and not living in vanity. All right? That, that, that all those things, those count. Our, our motives count. Whenever we're weighed out, and we've got the hay and the stubble and the, and the gold over here. All those things are going to count. So this is what I'm telling you. That one day, we're going we're to be able to see the One that paid for us. Alright? Are we going to be able to have anything to give Him? Are we going to be able to have pure hands or pure heart? Are we going to be lived our life in vanity to ourselves? Are we going to be able to try to obtain stuff that's going to burn up that don't matter? Alright? I mean, think about all the stuff we buy. Alright, I, I just recently went to a friend's house on Saturday. They was having a big yard sale. They cleaned out their barn, cleaned out their house, all this stuff. They had all this stuff. And, and I thought to myself, and they're making money off this stuff, which is good, and they're going to use it for a charitable reason, and that's good too, I suppose. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't be able to have yard sales. Alright, we, we, we accumulate so much stuff. That we never use. I mean, some of this stuff still had the price tag on it. All right, that was amazing to me. All right, I mean, whenever I went through and cleaned up my house after Mama died, she was a hoarder. Bless God, she had all kind of stuff in there. I had gave away stuff, gave away stuff till nobody take it no more, and then I just burn it all. All right, I'm just telling you, I ain't even worried about a yard sale. All right, but anyway, I just don't want to. I don't want to leave this earth and had had lived my life in vanity. I truly, honestly 
want to be able to say that I've done something for Him. All right? I don't care what it is. I don't care if people recognize it as being something big. All right? we, we seem to judge success as being some big shiny church and you know flashiness and all this, that, and other. But honest to God, real success is just being faithful. Let's just be honest. All right, if you if you just be faithful to the things you know you're supposed to do, all right, then then God'll God'll use you, all right, because you'll be a vessel ready to be used. All right, if you worry about how clean your hands are and how whether or not God sees all that stuff that you're doing, you got that conscience inside of you, and you truly, really, honestly get real with God. He'll clean you up, and you'll slowly but surely begin to yield more and more of yourself. And then before you know it, you'll be a vessel that's fit to be used. But just be faithful. That's all I, that's all I know. And I know that I, I ain't been as faithful as I should have been or should be. Alright? But at the end of the day, I believe that true success, you only read about success one time in the Bible and it's in the book of Joshua. Alright? It's in chapter 1, verse 8. But nonetheless, you only see that word one time in the Bible and it's talking about doing exactly what God told him to do and that's how he's going to have success. Alright? And so I believe that if we do exactly what we know we ought to do, all right, I, I've heard, I asked a preacher one time, I said, how do I know the will of God? He said, I don't know. He said, uh, you know what you ought to do, right? You know that's the will of God, right? I said, yeah. He said, you ought to witness and do all, he named off a bunch of stuff. I said, yeah, I know I ought to do that. He said, well, just do that and then worry about that big stuff. And so that's what I've been trying to do all my life. Since you told me that, that's what I've been trying to do. Just do those little things. All right, because at the end of the day, we do all those little things, our life will be a success, and we'll be served God. And nobody might know our name, all right, but we'll know at the end of the day that whenever we look ourselves in the mirror, all right, because each and every one of us, at the end of the day, we, we look in the mirror and we know whether or not we lived up to the day that God presented us with. We know whether or not we let our temper get too much of us, or we know whether or not we let this opportunity pass by or whatever. And so, if we can look ourselves in the mirror, we'll be able to know Hey, I did what God told me to do. Or I didn't do what God told me to do. And you'll still know what to do. You'll be able to correct it. Because He don't never give up on